week, we turn together to the book of Isaiah chapter 43. The book of Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to be reading the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 43. You can find this up on the screen or you can tap that app. Alright? I think that's the last time I'll ever say that in my life. <laughs> Matt Howard's marked our lives in so many ways. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba as in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Lift your hands with me as we pray and come to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for all that you have taught us this week. We are grateful that you've been at work in our midst. We are grateful that you are changing our hearts. And we ask that tonight our hearts would be shaped again as we sit under your word. We pray that you would embolden us and that you would deepen us and root us in the goodness of what you declare over us. Help us to hear your word this evening and be doers of your word. We pray that you would nourish our souls. And we pray that this night would more and more fit us for glory. We ask for your blessing on the preached word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We live in a culture of fear. And the reality of this fearful culture that we live in uh, really came clear to me when my wife Vanessa and I became pregnant with our first child, Tiana. Some of you have seen her ripping and running on the beach. When we, when we got pregnant with Tiana, I really started to understand the fact that we live in a culture of fear and I have been a part of that, that culture of fear. Because as soon as we learned that we were pregnant, there were all of these new fears that started to crop up in our lives. What kind of vitamins should Vanessa take? I mean, you don't want to just take any ordinary vitamins. That's my child in there. Well, which doctor should we go to? I don't want some jack-legged doctor messing up my baby. You know, I, 
what hospital should we give birth in? I, I don't want to give birth in just any ordinary hospital. You know, they might mess stuff up. Uh, should Vanessa get the medicine when she goes into labor to, to take away the pain? We, we've heard that, that that can create complications. Fear after fear after fear after fear sort of emerging in our hearts. And when the time came for us to go to Babies R Us, it, it, it reared its head once again. You know, when you're going to have a baby shower, uh, people want to love on you. What you do is, is you go to Babies R Us, and they give you one of those, those little guns, you know, that they use to ring you up in the store. And you walk around the store, and you begin to, to shoot things with that gun. And so, Vanessa, we go into the store, and the babies are us, and, and Vanessa goes in, and she's like, oh, a dress. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, let, let me see that gun right quick. I was like, going to all the safety products. I was like, electrical sockets, boom. <laughs> Baby gates, boom. Things to protect the corners of the coffee table so she don't jack her head up, boom. <laughs> Toilet seat covers, boom. Knobs to keep them from opening the door, boom. I couldn't even get in my own doors in the house, did those little plastic things. <laughs> I was going around the house, I was about to yank the knob off the door. I was so mad. I was going around shooting up all of this stuff. I was like. Safety <laughs> <laughs> item, bam, bam, bam. Fear, I was terrified of what might happen. And the most ordinary things in life became terrifying realities. Once Tiana came, everything was scary, even the most ordinary things. Sleeping was terrifying. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would go over and see if she was still breathing. Because I was afraid something wasn't right with her. Eating was dangerous. I, I mean, and it, and we're sitting at the table and I was in high lip mode the whole time. If anyone even like cleared their throat, I'd be like, I got you, I got you. I, when I was preparing Tiana's food, I'd be in there like, mincing it all up and that's what like, what are you making her pate? What, is, what are you doing? I'm like, she ain't gonna choke on this, she ain't gonna choke on this. Eating was dangerous, playing was dangerous. I would, I would go up and check the dogs, you know, like Elmo, he got a hard head. You know, and so I, I would be looking at Elmo, I'm like, God, you a little dangerous, man. I'm gonna get you out of here. I want my baby hitting her head on your hard head, Elmo. And I remember when Tiana finally had her first real injury, and she hit her head, and I was feeling terrible. I'm like, I'm the worst person in the world. I called my mom for some consolation. My mom's like, Russ, what are you gonna do? Lock her in a padded room for the rest of her life? I was like, who would do that? Fear. And listen, it's not just parenting fears that, that, that reveal the, the culture of fear in which we live. If it's not parenting, that's just, a, that's just a subset of the greater fears in which we live. The fear of terrorist attacks. The fear of school shootings. The fear of not getting in to the right school, or not getting the right job, or not getting into the right grad school. The fear of losing your job. The fears of, of, of neighborhood crime. All kinds of fears threaten to, to surround us and to, and to choke out the hope of our lives. And here's the deal, we're, 
The world in which we live is not more dangerous than the world was 100 years ago. We simply feel it differently because we live in a culture of fear. So many, how many products are marketed using fear? How many billions of dollars are made by corporations because we are a fearful people and we are gullible at that very point? We're, we're vulnerable at that very point. We live in a culture of fear. And this is why over and over again in God's word, we hear this massive statement in all different portions of the scripture. We see this one massive statement from God. Do not fear. Do not fear. It's one of the most frequent commands in all of scripture. Do not fear. Because God does not want you to live as a victim of fear all of your life. God does not want you to live a fearful existence in the world. So much of our calling, so much of our mission, so much of our own personal vitality and flourishing is stifled because of fear. But we need to hear God's word to the fearful this evening. We need to hear God's word to the fearful. He offers good news to fearful people. And so this evening, as we get into Isaiah 43, we're going to look at this, this great text and we're going to consider how fear operates and how faith liberates. How fear operates. How does it work? What are the dynamics of fear in your life? How's, how does that actually, how does it actually work? And how does fear break in the context of faith? How does faith liberate you? How are you set free through trusting in God and what he says over your life? And so we're going to get into this, this text in Isaiah 43 and we begin with our first point. How fear operates. Now here's the deal. One of the things you have to appreciate about this text is that it was delivered to ordinary people like you and me. It was, it was delivered to mothers and fathers. It was delivered to, to children and the elderly. It was, it was delivered to those who were moral failures and those who were faithful and still going through the difficulty of being exiled because this is the context in which we're situated. Israel is in exile. They are, they are far from home. They're living in a foreign country. They are being controlled by powers that are bigger than them. And they are feeling the threat of being in that foreign place where their lives are controlled by a foreign power. They're anxious. They feel trapped. They don't know what their future holds. Does any of that sound familiar to you? This caused so much anxiety. This caused so much angst in their lives because they're living in this, this context. Fear is a timeless experience. Fear is cross-cultural. It, no one has the market cornered on it. We all have to tangle with it. And it was the case for Israel. We all feel like fear holds us in checkmate, don't we? You know what it is in chess when you're held in checkmate? You're, you're trying to make a move, but you feel like the game is over. It's already lost. You try to move, but it, it's game over. They, they felt like fear had them in checkmate. And we do, too, so often. Will I be able to get the job? If I get the job, will I be able to do it well? Will I be able to keep the job? One day, if you, if you get married to somebody else, you're going you're to ask the question in fear. Can we have children? And if, if we have children, 
are they, are they going to be okay? Or are we going to do a good job of raising them? Am I going to make enough money to survive? You see, we have fear of whether or not we will get what we need. And then when we get it, we fear losing it. Will I have enough money? Your fear. But then once you get it, then you fear losing it or misspending it. Fear, fear, fear threatens to come out of every aspect of our lives. And you know why? Because something is wrong with our hearts. Fear comes pouring out of our hearts when you begin to see what's going on. And I want to get into some of the dynamics of fear, and it has to do with the dynamics of your heart. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? The first reason why I think we are afraid is because we feel out of control. We feel out of control. And there are a thousand things out there that reveal that we are not in control. And that's why fear is such a regular part of our lives. Because here's the deal. Here's why being feeling like you're out of control is so scary. Because deep down it reveals in your heart that you believe that the only person looking out for you is you. And if you feel like you can't control things, well, then your life is going to spiral. Things are going to go awry in your life. And even if there was a God who was powerful, he's probably not willing to do anything about this scary thing that's right in front of me. We're afraid because we feel out of control. I think we're also afraid because we feel alone. And if you're alone then the only resources you have to deal with the threatening things in your life are your own. But we all know very well, we're being honest, that we're very weak. And so we scramble to try and acquire more resources in order to deal with the things that scare us out there, to try and deal with the threats. If you feel like you are all alone, you will live a fearful life and you will rely upon your own resources in order to deal with the threats and that's why you will live a frantic life of running around trying to figure out how you can secure yourself. We're afraid because we feel alone. And that's often the motivation for getting more credentials and trying to make more money because we're afraid that there's no one with us. So my resources are all I have to deal with the threatening things around me. And I'll say a third reason why I think we're afraid why are you afraid? Because you feel unimportant and worthless. You question your own worth deep down. You question whether anyone else really cares. Is anyone else really as invested in my well-being as I am? Does anyone even really care if I thrive, if I'm doing well? Is there anyone who looks at this threatening thing that is imposing upon me who wants to do something about it? Is there anyone who's going to fight for me to keep me in the face of this threat? Many of us struggle to believe that there's anyone who really values us. And that's one of the reasons why our lives seem so scary. Because if no one else cares, then I have to secure myself. I have to look out for me. I'm left with the sneaking suspicion that the only one that I can trust is myself. Because I'm the only one that I am confident really cares about me. 
And then we eat up all of the bandwidth of our life trying to secure ourselves and trying to, trying to look out for our own interests because we're not really confident that anyone else cares. Fear wreaks havoc in your heart. And when you add all of this up, this felt lack of control, this feeling of loneliness, that no one's with you in the end. It's all up to you to keep you. When you feel like you're not valuable, when you feel like you, do, you don't have any worth, when you feel like you're unimportant and you're worthless deep down, then you are left trusting only in yourself. You feel like you're the only one that you can trust. And that's why the message of this text is such good news. That's why the message of this text is such good news for fearful people. Because God addresses us at the very points where we are most fearful. He addresses the causes of our fearfulness through this text. And this is where we see how faith in his word liberates. Here's the deal. In this text, we see how the Lord speaks into the fears of his people. But now, thus says the Lord. But now, thus says the Lord. Isaiah says, you're, you're afraid right now. You're terrified right now. Things feel out of control right now. You feel alone right now. You don't feel like you matter at all. You feel like your worth is in question right now. But you need to hear the word of the Lord. Into the context of their fears, the prophetic word is spoken. Do not fear. Thus says the Lord who created you. He begins with the fact that the Lord created them. And you know that if you go through the great trouble to create something, you will go through the lesser trouble in order to keep it, in order to secure it, in order to make sure it doesn't get messed up, in order to make sure it doesn't, doesn't get destroyed. He begins with this note that God is their creator. He has redeemed them. You feel out of control. But look at the text. You feel out of control, but God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The government knows us by our social security number. Our state knows us by our driver's license number. Our bank knows us by our account number. Our male people know us by our house number. But the Lord of the universe calls you by name. And to, and to call someone by name in this cultural context was to express authority over that person and over their circumstances. In other words, the Lord is saying, you're not in control, but you don't need to be. Because the one who has all the power and the one who has all the love and the one who has all the grace is expressing authority over your lives. Do not fear. Verse 2, you feel alone, but God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I have not left you to your own resources. You don't have to rely upon your little strength because I am with you. I love how he throws in there, when you, when you walk through the fire, you won't be consumed. And that immediately reminds us of that, that powerful story where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were threatened 
the most powerful man in the world was telling them, you must bow down and worship me. It was terrifying. But these three young men, probably around your age, they said, we're not going to bow down. And he says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And they say, we believe that the Lord is able to deliver us from you. But even if he doesn't, burn us up. And the king was mad. And he, did, he ordered that the furnace be heated up seven times its normal heat. It was so hot that the, the guards who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace burned up on the spot and died. But the text says that when the king looked into the furnace, he was astonished. And he says, did not we throw three men into that furnace? And one of his advisors said, that's right, king. You threw three in. He said, but I see a fourth man in there and one who looks like the son of God. Y'all, do you see when you pass through the waters, God is with you. When you're in the fire, God may not take you out of the fire of suffering. He may not take you out of the fires of affliction, but he has promised to be the kind of God who will be with you in the fire. He's with you in the struggles. He's with you in the temptations and the hardships. He is with you. Do not fear. Verse 4, why is fear unnecessary? You're afraid because you feel worthless. You, deep down, you feel like you're unimportant, and your sin compounds that. Because you sin so bad sometimes, you're like, I'm just worthless. I'm just not by, who could care for me? Look, look at verse 4. Why is fear unnecessary? Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Let that sink into your heart. God loves you as if you were the sole occupant of the universe. There has never been a moment in eternity that you have not been on his heart. There is not a single thought in the mind of God that is adverse to your well-being. The choirs of angels and all of their anthems and all of their songs are not near as sweet in the ears of the Lord as your weak little voice crying out for help. That's how precious you are to him. That's how valuable you are to him. How precious must you be? How honored must you be? How loved must you be to warrant such a gift from the Father as his own dear son? How loved must you be? How valued must you be in the eyes of God? It's astonishing. He, what is the great evidence that, that God's control over you is trustworthy? What is the great evidence that you're not alone? What is the great evidence that God cares? Jesus. Jesus is the great evidence that God is in control. And when he's in control, things work out for your good. The good, the bad, and the ugly all turn out for your conformity to the likeness of Jesus. When you look at the gospel, when you look at who Jesus is, and when you look at what Jesus has done, you see that you are not alone. When you look at what God has done in Jesus, you can see that God cares. His incarnation shows you that God cares to be with you. His teaching shows you that God cares to instruct you. 
His sufferings show you that He cares to defend you. His crucifixion tells you that He cares to represent you. His resurrection shows you that He cares to lift you up. His ascension tells you that He cares to bring your requests to the Father. His session at the right hand of the Father tells you that He cares to pray for you. Pentecost tells you that He cares to fill you with His joy and with His power. And His promised return tells you that He cares to make you new again along with the rest of the world. How could you look at the person and work of Christ and come to the conclusion that God does not care? He does. And the gospel, the work of Christ, the person of Christ is the great evidence that God cares. And when you see these declarations coming from God, the God who gave his son, the God of resurrection, the God who pours out his spirit, well, then it emboldens you. True belief in one promise of God will slay a thousand fears. True belief in one promise of God will slay a thousand of your fears. You do not have to be in bondage to your fears. You don't have to be afraid of being broken. You don't have to be afraid of being a failure. You don't have to be afraid of the outsider. Do you see, this is the capstone on everything we've been saying about how God deals with people through his word. This is, this is the note to go out on. Go out into the world fearlessly, knowing that if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, you need not fear any man. You don't need to fear any opponent. You don't need to fear any threat. This is our Father's world. And he cares for us. Go out with this song on your heart. Go out with that song on your heart that he will bring you safe to Canaan's side. He'll land you safe on Canaan's side and bid your anxious fears goodbye. That's the good news of God's grace. And that is the kind of work that he does in people's lives through his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak words of comfort and courage over your people. We are so grateful, Lord, that your word is true. And we pray, Lord, that when we face struggles, that we would hear ringing in our ears your call, do not fear. When we're suffering and tempted, when we're in waiting and when we're weary, when we are afraid. Help us to, to hear your strong voice over all of the voices saying, do not fear. You are mine. Help us to know that we are precious in your eyes and, and honored that you love us. We pray, Lord, that we would remember your word to us and that we would receive it in faith and that we would encourage and inspire faith in one another, that we would direct our eyes to Jesus as our great reward and help us to run with endurance this race that you've set before us. We do pray, Lord, that you would land us safe on hand side. We pray these things.